Members of the US House of Representatives have been absent from Capitol Hill today after the threat of a suspected attack by right-wing militias was detected by US security services. The Qatari broadcaster Al Jazeera makes a bet on conservative news audiences in the United States with a brand new rolling news channel called Rightly. And as plans continue to stage this year's Eurovision Song Contest in person in Rotterdam, we'll sing the praises of national song competitions. Monocle editors and correspondents are here to discuss those stories today here on the late edition on Monocle 24. Hello there and a very warm welcome to you to the late edition here on Monocle 24. It is Thursday the 4th of March and I'm Thomas Lewis and joining us today are Monocle 24's Carlotta Rabello and Monocle 24's Daniel Bache. Daniel, Carlotta, great to have you with us on the programme today. We are almost at the end of another week so how's the week treated you both there from your respective parts of London? Carlotta, let's begin with you. Another busy week here at Midori House today. I'm actually quite uh, glad it's coming to an end. I feel like I need a rest this weekend. Hopefully the weather will turn out and allow me to go for one of many, many walks around sunny London. It has been a really busy week. We've been, uh, of course, working on a brand new episode of The Urbanist. Um, This week we've been looking at urbanism jargon. So our own little dictionary coming up uh, on this week's episode. Um, And then as well a few exciting projects for our sister publication, Uh, So a lot of exciting things, but I'm very much looking forward to the weekend. I don't know about you, Daniel. Yeah, well, I uh, feel I'm being goaded into talking about the weather here, as I usually do on the Tuesday show. But uh, I'll bypass that, Carlotta, and uh, talk just about the week uh, and say hello to our listeners who uh, may be used to hearing me only on Tuesdays on the show. I'm happy to be here on a Thursday, Carlotta. I don't feel we ever get to do this together. So happy to be here today. Been a busy week. Uh, excitingly, we uh, had Michelle Romano on The Entrepreneurs this week, who is a fellow Torontonian. Uh, I've been trying to get that interview for a while, so I was very happy to roll that out this week. We talk about why great e-commerce is so vital for bricks-and-mortar retail going forward. Uh, it was fun to pick her brain. She, of course, is the head of one of the biggest e-commerce investors in the world and uh, has a lot to say about some Canadian companies and uh, some of the brands they invest in here in the US and the UK. So that's what I've been up to this week, Tomas. Well, look forward to giving that a listen, Daniel. Daniel Bache and Carlotta Rabello, thank you again for being with us on the programme today. Well, in the United States today, the halls of the US House of Representatives have been silent as today's sittings of the lower chamber of Congress was suspended following the publication of intelligence that claimed that a possible attack was planned on the Capitol building by right-wing militias. Geoffrey Howard is a commentator on US affairs at University College London, and he explained why today's date was so significant for the rumoured incursion into the Capitol building on today's edition of The Briefing. March the 4th has a particular role to play in the broader QAnon story. And the short version of it is that March the 4th was the original inauguration date for the U.S. presidency. So George Washington's inauguration was scheduled for March the 4th, 1789. As it happens, it didn't actually occur, uh, in fact, due to bad weather. And so it had to be postponed uh, to April. But for nearly 150 years, March the 4th was the inauguration date for the presidency. 
presidency until the the 20th Amendment, which was enacted in 1933, uh, changed uh, the inauguration date uh, to January 20th for the reelection of Franklin Roosevelt. And so it's part of a a broader aspect of the QAnon ideology, which very much anchors it as in the American past, in particular before 1971, QAnon followers believe that the US government has been wholly illegitimate um, since the presidency of of Ulysses S. Grant for very complicated and bizarre reasons we could get into. But it's that idea of March the 4th as the original, the right inauguration date for the American presidency that has given it such prominence in the QAnon uh, uh, ideology. Jeffrey Howard there speaking to us on the briefing here on Monocle 24 a little earlier today. Uh, Carlotta, the House of Representatives uh, has taken these reports these suggestions extremely seriously. But what do we know exactly about what was reportedly planned uh, in terms of a possible uh, insurgency on Capitol Hill today? So federal authorities have been warning that people associated with militia groups were discussing plans for another attack on the US Capitol, uh, either today or tomorrow. And the aim of this attack would be to remove the Democratic politicians. Um, Now, this intelligence came from the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, and even from the U.S. Capitol Police itself, um, saying that there, you know, there was this uh, potential plot to breach the Capitol. Um, now, this has been taken quite seriously. The House of Representatives ha- has cancelled uh, its session that was planned for Thursday for tomorrow um, after uh, this uh, intelligence was revealed. Uh, the Senate, though, still plans to remain in session to debate some amendments to the COVID-19 relief bill, which, of course, we understand is one of the most urgent matters to be discussed by the Senate. Um, now, for conspiracy theorists, this date, March 4th, seems to be a significant date because they, for some reason, believe that former President Donald Trump will return to power um, today. I mean, so far, uh, we haven't seen anything that might indicate that. Um, and um, yeah, it's just, you know, these threats are coming nearly two months after the first um attack on the Capitol building um, and, you know, has forced not only the police department and security forces, but also lawmakers to rethink security at the US Capitol and even how they view uh, what can be classed as domestic terrorism um, too. Well, we will be monitoring events in the US uh, in the coming days here on Monocle 24. But let's stay in the United States for our next story here on the late edition, where the Qatari-based news broadcaster Al Jazeera is making its first foray into the ecosystem of conservative broadcast journalism in the US. The new channel is called Rightly and will be led by a former Fox News journalist. The network says that its core target audience will be Republicans who, and I quote, feel left out of conservative media. Monocle's news editor, Chris Chermak, has this report. Let's face it. News broadcasting in the United States long ago turned away from being purely a public good and a solid source of information about government and elected officials. It's turned into a business, a profit-making exercise that's more akin to the realms of sports and entertainment. And if that's true, well, then it also explains why our news media have become increasingly polarized over the past few years. News media in the U.S. have become increasingly like sports teams in search of a passionate fan base. The kind of viewer that just can't pull themselves away from watching and has to keep coming back every night for more. It's this focus on ratings and shock jock type rhetoric 
over nonpartisan, informative content that is the simplest way to put into context Al Jazeera's latest move. The Qatar-based international news broadcaster recently announced its intentions to launch a new and openly conservative news platform in the United States, called Rightly. Its goal seems to be to inject itself into the conversation about what the future of conservative America should look like. Now, right now is a little bit of a pun. It's about where the American right stands at this moment and where it could go. Every week we're going to have conversations that try to piece together the paths that we could take and what needs to be done right now to give America the best shot at a prosperous future and the ideal of a genuinely pluralistic open society. We've had a Republican Party built for stonewalling, then one built for the fight, but what about just building? That was an excerpt from the first episode of Right Now with Stephen Kent, the first show broadcast by Rightly in the past week. Much of Kent's show is pretty earnest and harmless fare when compared with much of what's available on conservative channels these days. In short, it suggests that Al Jazeera believes there's a business niche for sensible conservative voices. At a time when viewers on the conservative side of American politics in particular seem to be up for grabs. But the timing of launching Rightly is curious. It's fair to say that conservative media in the United States is in a state of upheaval in the new Joe Biden era. An upheaval not unlike that of the Republican Party itself. Fox News, long the standard bearer of conservative media in the U.S., has suffered some of its lowest ratings in years since the departure of Donald Trump from the White House. In January, its ratings fell below those of rival broadcasters CNN and MSNBC for the first time in nearly two decades. This ratings drop is largely because of two related dilemmas. On the one hand, Fox News has struggled with finding a place in the Biden era and to develop a common line of attack or critique of the current president. And on the other hand, it's facing the question of what exactly to do with Donald Trump, the former president who continues to insist that November's presidential election was fraudulent. While more moderate conservative voices might be turning away because they become uncomfortable with the threat that Donald Trump and his supporters pose to democracy, especially after the January 6th insurrection of the U.S. Capitol, the reality is that two-thirds of Republican voters still believe that Biden's election was fraudulent. And for many of these voters, Fox News hasn't gone far enough. The mere fact that Biden has generally been accepted as president by Fox has prompted some viewers to look for alternatives, whether online ones like Alex Jones or newly relevant television-based conservative networks like Newsmax and OANN. The fact that Trump himself remains such a draw for conservative media was evidenced on Sunday, when the former president made his first public appearance since leaving the White House on January 20th. Hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me? A lot of things going on. To so many wonderful friends, conservatives, and fellow citizens in this room, all across our country, I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we've begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. We've just started. 
That appearance coincided with Fox News' highest ratings in weeks. So where does Al Jazeera's rightly fit into all of this? Well, it's pretty hard to know. For the moment, it seems to be making more waves within Al Jazeera itself than on the outside. More than 100 employees have sent an open letter to management, warning that rightly could, quote, irreparably tarnish the network's brand and work. So can Rightly really manage to cultivate a conservative fan base in this fractured new media landscape? Well, don't touch that dial and keep it right here on Team Monocle 24 to find out. Monocle's news editor Chris Chermak there. Daniel, uh, having heard Chris's report on Rightly, the, the new endeavour by Al Jazeera in the United States, what's your view on the role this new channel will serve in the US's media ecosystem, if we can call it that? Yeah, very interesting one, Tomas. And uh, I'll have to uh, credit Carlotta for actually flagging this story to me last week. I find it quite curious that uh, they're pitching... Uh, a new space for conservative voices. I feel so much of the American media is is now uh, directed exactly at that. Um, obviously, uh, we know about uh, Fox News and some of the other uh, outlets. I feel on one hand, there's this interesting sort of gap, which I understand where they're trying to fill. Obviously, I call it sort of the uh, uh, the, the Rush Limbaugh effect of, of U.S. media in the last generation, where there's, uh, there's just so much room for loud and shouty opinion. And, and obviously, that has been put under a lot of scrutiny, particularly after the last election and uh, the conspiracy theories pushed forward by uh, Donald Trump. And uh, and a lot of backlash to the anchors themselves. Uh, some even lo- losing their shows, as 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 we know. But you know, there's there's that on on one hand. On the other hand, there are all of these underground voices. We we wonder how something like the Capitol attack, like we just talked about, uh, actually happened, and and where people are are discussing their views. And a lot of that is in dark corners of the internet and not in the mainstream media. But at the same time, I feel there, while Al Jazeera may feel there, there's a gap to move into on, on the conservative front, I, th- I feel there's a huge gap in the way of creating a great debate on, on what's happening in the U.S. And there is this gulf where it seems to be loud and shouty, opinionated conservative voices, which have great airtime and great following, and and everyone else, which will by Republicans be lumped into the left, the uh, NBCs and, and the CNNs and ABCs of the world, perhaps. So, I mean, it's it's a very crowded space, and I was quite surprised that they they would make this very direct pitch with uh, with a target audience coming out basically and saying what they're going after in an underserved. Uh, conservative or Republican voice. I, I'm not so sure it's it's underserved. I just think uh, we need better uh, m- better direction. Perhaps the, there needs to be a better investment, although there's massive investment in U.S. media. But I, I find the other side of this story quite interesting, and that's what is being said by the Al Jazeera journalists who feel that their work is going to be undermined uh, and their journalistic integrity questioned because... Now the network is moving into serving one specific audience, and that, to me, is very curious. And uh, 
uh, I'm not so sure that there's there there's any lack of uh, coverage for conservative opinions in the U.S. at this point. And Carlotta, to sort of continue that point with you, I wonder if you have any sense of what kind of, sort of figure this new channel will cut. Will it be sort of sticking to the template that, as Daniel characterised, there is quite a familiar go-to for those of us outside of the U.S. Uh, looking in this more opinion-led programming, uh, roiling the passions of both the presenters, but those who watch it too? Or do we think there's a chance that Al Jazeera is trying to do something uh, a bit more nuanced, potentially, here that, you know, debate associated with the right doesn't always have to be about raising your voice and, uh, you know, declaiming all kinds of things. What do we think that uh, rightly will try to do here in in terms of the tone that it tries to strike? I think it's quite curious because what is not clear yet, and I guess we'll need to uh, watch the the TV channel for a few months until that becomes completely clear. But it's not clear yet who this is aimed for. You know, it's clearly not at, you know, never Trump as people, Republicans, but it's also not aimed at the sort of Trump supporters or Republicans that stormed the US Capitol, for example. So uh, it's it's quite strange when you think about are they trying to, you know, pull in conservatives that have been left out, but at the same time appeasing to those who follow Trump? That is quite, um, I don't know, it's just it's just really difficult to pinpoint exactly who this is aimed at. And um, I mean, I know that Al Jazeera's staff uh, was almost as baffled by the announcement as uh, we, being the general public, have been too. Uh, you know, they, lo- they wrote an open letter basically saying that the launch of uh, Rightly was an affront to the network's journalistic vision and cited all, you know, these wor- concerns about, you know, the ethics and editorial vision of Al Jazeera as a whole and the fact that now, you know, they're launching Rightly into an already heavily polarized media uh, landscape uh, in the United States um, and all the challenges that that comes uh, with. Now, what we know is that a lot of former uh, employees at Fox News have been hired for this organization. And the way um, rightly, or I guess Al Jazeera's um, uh, bosses are talking about this is that a, is it a conversation starter. So my hopes is that it indeed does that. It starts a conversation based on facts aimed at an audience that perhaps is not used to getting their news from trusted sources. Well, finally here on the late edition, let's look ahead to this year's Eurovision Song Contest, which was, of course, cancelled for the first time in its history last year due to the coronavirus pandemic. And the organisers of this year's event have said that they intend to hold an in-person contest in Rotterdam in May. Uh, Carlotta, there's a pretty wonderful constellation, if I can put it that way, of uh, national song competitions that fan out around the Eurovision Song Contest. And Chiara Romella, our culture editor, wrote about it rather beautifully. Uh, the Italian iteration, a storied national song contest there for today's edition of the Monocle Minute. What's your relationship, having grown up in Portugal, of both your own song contests, your own competitions, and how they fit into the, the, the broader universe of the Eurovision every May? 
Oh, I love the Eurovision Song Contest. Every May, that's what I'm waiting for. In Portugal, we uh, have the National uh, Song Contest, Festival da Canção. In fact, the final for that one is going to be this Saturday, this coming Saturday, which is very exciting, and I'll be definitely tuning in for that. And it's through that festival that, you know, the song that will represent Portugal uh, gets in, in the Eurovision Song Contest gets chosen. It's 50% vote by the jury and 50% vote by the public. Now, looking at Portugal's track record on the Eurovision Song Contest, it is not the greatest. Uh, we've won once with a song that I'm not particularly a fan of because it was a ballad. The song, yes, was very beautiful. But for me, Eurovision is all about, you know, the party and uh, doing all the things that, you know, what you're used to seeing in pop doesn't really happen there. You know, name me another contest where you have, um, you know, an Icelandic band pretty much dressed all up in leather underwear dressed on stage. And then you have an entry from a, an Eastern European country where there are people churning butter while someone sings. And then there's a crazy, crazy saxophone solo. I mean, it's just perfect. Uh, and that's what I want. So last year, we did not have Eurovision. They did do the best that they could and did a virtual um, iteration of the show where people who were meant to be competing performed either from their homes or uh, pre-recorded performances in their home countries. Um, even if a real audience cannot be there, it will just be so nice to actually, you know, have Eurovision happening, have a vote and have a winner. And Daniel, there isn't a national contest in the same mould uh, as those in Europe, in Canada, is there? And I'm not sure if there were, whether you'd be more of a leather underwear on stage or a butter churning on stage, uh, kind of kind of fan to the whole proceedings. But in the US last summer, it was announced to some great fanfare that, that its own version of Eurovision is meant to be coming uh, before the end of this year. You know, that would probably get great following. And I think it's actually a wonderful idea for national unity. Obviously, there are the, the smaller contests we're talking about that uh, sort of build into Eurovision, which is this grand uh, spectacle that uh, that everyone likes to watch, to watch around the world. And in Canada, we really have nothing like it. And I feel a bit slighted, Tomas. I would like to take part in this in some sense. I, I'd like to point out, first of all, that we have been represented in Eurovision strangely by five different women, three who have been representing who are born in Canada, but that competed for Switzerland, Tomas. Very strange. Uh, one of them actually won. Uh, some people may remember uh, that being Celine Dion in 1988. But in Canada, north of the border, uh, the, that 49th parallel between uh, Canada and the U.S., there's not a whole lot for sort of a national spectacle uh, related to music. Sure, there are the Juno Awards, which you could say is sort of the Canadian Grammys, which is a one one night a year thing where it's uh, rah rah for Canadian music and they they celebrate a, a name you know a big name from the past, and then there's the sort of the other spectrum being uh, a great award which is the Polaris Music Prize. Tomas, you'll know uh, about this, but that is incredibly niche. It's it's uh, meant to celebrate the top independent artist in the country. There is a gala event that they normally do, but I always felt, even when I worked in media in Toronto for years and years, it was like this cult thing and no one actually got invited to. It was like at a, a small hall and you had to be like, you had to really be an indie music journalist or like an A-list person to be there. And it's not really like regular Canadians feel an attachment to that or you know feel it's something that they can take part in it's sort of voted by 
uh, a jury of, of of great music journalists and, and people in the industry, and you know it's it's brought people onto the the world stage, and I think it's incredible in that sense. You know, there are artists that have won that people across Canada may have never have heard of because they come from a different part of the country. Uh, one of them being Carqua, who who won I think about ten years ago, and that, you know that's a French Canadian band that not many people heard of. Patrick Watson. Uh, another one, a wonderful Montreal piano player and, and other artists, bigger artists that have made it international have also won like Caribou, uh, Arcade Fire, Feist, um, and, and Tanya Tagak, uh, the indigenous singer, the throat singer, uh, who, you know, this prize has done an, a, one, a wonderful thing in celebrating different types of music. So it's not pinned to just indie rock or something like that. And that, I think, is amazing for showcasing the diversity of Canada and, and all these incredible cultural elements that mesh into it. I guess my whole point here, Tomas, is I would love to see something on a bigger scale. And maybe that's more of a pop thing or, uh, or you know, bringing in different all kinds of different genres in sort of a, a Champions League type style like, like Eurovision is and bring people from all different provinces and we could celebrate all these... Uh, all these um, uh, different, uh, you know, regions of the country. I'd, I'd like to see something like that, something between the Junos and the Polaris Prize that is a little bit more uh, uh, bigger. I don't, I don't know if you agree with that, Tomas, but I think it would be a great way to celebrate the country. Well, I'm not sure if anyone from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, your former employer, Daniel, is listening, but it sounds like a bit of a pitch to be the compare of any such contest that were to take shape in Canada in the years to come. Well, that is all we have time for for today's late edition. A big thank you to Daniel Bache and to Carlotta Rubello in London for joining us on the programme today. And a big thank you too to Louis Allen, who edited the show today. The late edition returns at the same time tomorrow. But for more news, do join The Globalist team uh, from 7am London time tomorrow. I'm Thomas Lewis. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon.